You're listening to Coffee Jams. This is your source for tips, tools, and techniques to help you teach. So, Anthony, I had no idea how awesome Twitter could be, but I just found out, and I'm not ashamed of it. Man, Twitter, social networking is a, is an amazing source, man. It is. It is. I put out one tweet asking for some special educators maybe to answer a question, and almost 200 special educators all reached out, sent me private messages, all wanting to be a part of our our little movement we have going on to that's help, amazing to help empower teachers i think it's amazing too so one special educator really took the reins and decided that he wanted to um be a part of the show and i'm gonna let him introduce himself i'm actually a high school dropout mm. um and that's relevant as i go through my story i believe and pretty much had given up on my I, I say giving up on myself, but what I think what I really mean is I was a quitter. If things got too difficult, I just move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have time to solve this problem. Let's just move on. Mm-hmm. So we're listening to Tracy Scott Kelly. He is an educator working on the West Coast. And let's just get a little bit more of his backstory before we dive into these questions today. I was 39 when I finished my bachelor's in economics. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love economics, the whole reason I got that degree is because it's the least number of core classes I had to have, which mm. makes total economic sense. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Do the least for the most, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after a, another job did not work out, my wife said, you know what, just go substitute. Then once I stepped into education, I did not want anything to do with special ed mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Didn't want this is my... I'm going to put this in quotes because you can't see it, but right, I didn't want right. anything to do with those kids. Yeah. That was, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but then I realized, Hey, I could teach every day or sub every day if I actually went into special ed. Mm-hmm. Um, then once I accepted that and realized that that was where I fit, that mm-hmm. was, those were my people. That was my tribe, whatever word you mm-hmm. want to use. That's what works for me. Yeah. Um, I've now, I mean, my 10th year in the K-12 classroom, mm-hmm. one year in year was a full-time lecturer for the university. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, a couple of credentials, master's, finishing up the doctorate now. He sounds really knowledgeable. He does. You know? And as we get further into um, the interview I did with him, I think that'll come out even more. So one of the reasons why I reached out to all the special educators on Twitter, and again, I think everyone who reached out to me, is I, I had three real main questions I wanted to know as we're entering into this sort of COVID environment right now. Okay. Thinking about how we could encourage more teachers to use the tools that they have to meet the needs of our special education students, realizing yeah. that we're not necessarily starting at ground zero. And although we aren't face-to-face, there's going to be a lot of benefits to using the virtual environment. So that was the first question I asked them. You know, Tracy, what do you think will be the best, would be the benefits of us transitioning into a online environment? And this is what he had to say. I'm, I'm gonna start with the uh, the more mild moderate, uh, the RSP students. 
um, the students that are a year or two, six months behind. Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason I start there is because for, for a fair number of those, I really do believe that the, the virtual environment is going to be more productive. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, if you're looking at the K five or K six, where it's a pull out, push in model, Mm -hmm. the kids can tell that somebody is there to support the students with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, but once you go virtual, Typically, there's not going to be a paraprofessional or an aide sitting next to them or working in a smaller group to help those students. So um, and and the teachers are a little bit more, I guess, forgiving Mm -hmm. is not the the right word, but their expectations have even if it's not on top of their head Mm -hmm. in their minds, they've actually released or reduced um, expectations a little bit only because the environment is so new to most of us. Got it. Okay. Um, so once you do that, you've released a little bit of anxiety for those students that aren't performing Hmm. on your average. Those Mm -hmm. students with disabilities are a little bit below or behind. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that makes it easier for those students to perform to their, to their ability. So one of the things that I didn't even think about is how like transitioning to a virtual environment could be, so freeing for our students with disabilities and i i'm really excited that he actually brought that out what do you think yeah i like that because especially the point where he pulls up and says um your the paraprofessional may not be sitting right there next to the person who is in dire need to understand the topic i think that was really important yeah i think Uh, that because the per the paraprofessional isn't right next to them it doesn't single them out Right. Like, so exactly. it doesn't make the kid feel anxious because it's like, oh, why well, he got somebody next to him. Right. Because we're all in this virtual exactly space. Right. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that um, moving to the virtual teaching environment actually uh, may give students with disabilities uh, a, a greater advantage than they had in, in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, um, earlier today, I had a discussion with uh one of my paraprofessionals who who will be joining me in the classroom this school year, and they asked me to give them uh, teaching rights. So the suggestion that they gave me was the idea that we'll be teaching our live sessions through Zoom. Mm -hmm. But uh, what we would do is then create individual breakout rooms for all the individual students. So that allows my paraprofessional to then jump in those rooms of the students with disability without... um, those students feeling, I guess, uh, us, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Isolated. Ta- a- isolated and, you know, singled out more. Yeah. So that's gives them cool. way more resources to, you know, to make sure that they're um, receiving the objective and mastering those, you know, challenges. I, actually, I like that idea. Being able to put the whole class in their own breakout rooms because it's like, what, maybe Absolutely. 30 kids. And I think that you can yep. do that. In Zoom, it's probably just easy to say group size is one <laughs> and then just yeah, have those exactly. different breakout rooms. I think that's actually um, that's actually pretty cool. So as we think of it, you know, every every pro has a con. So I asked Tracy, like, what do you think are going to be like the biggest challenges of us actually shifting to an online virtual environment? And this is what he had to say. Off the top of my head, um, I really think it's going to be patience. And I don't necessarily mean patience as, you know, give another five weeks for an assignment to be due. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of our, our students that that have disabilities, especially cognitive, are going to be the time it takes to answer a question. 
Hmm. I mean, where, you know, in this, in this interview, you can ask me a question. And as soon as you start with the words, I'm already formulating my answer or my train of thought where I want to go. Um, a lot of our students have to wait until they hear the entire question, Mm -hmm. then sit and let that question basically ponder, you know, um, manipulate cognitively that question in their head to figure out what it really means and what are the words I use to express how I feel about it. And feeling isn't necessarily emotion. It's how do I feel I'm going to answer this? What what words can I say that won't uh, make me look less smart for for lack of a better phrase um and then just obviously the content of the question itself they it takes time to process that so i think that's probably the the quickest easiest answer is the patients to to be okay with a moment or two of silence as the question is processed i think what i like the most about that strategy is that on face value it's just a really good strategy Absolutely. Like, even in the virtual environment, like we really just need to get back to the point where teachers are giving kids wait time to yep. to think of what their what their answer. Tracy does a good job at, at at speaking on the point of time, right? So, you know, if we're in our classrooms, we only have about forty five minutes to an hour, you know, just to teach uh, our class, you know, get students to you know complete the assignment and whatnot but what he talks about is the idea of answering questions and not feeling like you know that they're being put on the spot right so the benefits of a virtual classroom i see is the idea that we can post discussion questions earlier in the week actually allow students some time to you know think of their answers overnight before they even post right which extends the classroom in in in, you know in in a larger sense to allow those students to, hey, discover the answer on their own, which, I mean, that's what we're pushing for, student discovery, right? Yeah. Critical thinking skills. Exactly. I think one of the things that I like the most about doing a lot of my um, graduate work online is just like you said, I, I had a week at most to figure out what I wanted to say in the discussion yeah. board. It wasn't, I, I didn't have to answer it right there on the spot, which yep. I think is, as we're shifting into this virtual environment, America and the rest of the world is facing this this dual thought process because leaders are making decisions based on their own personal learning styles, right? Absolutely. And we think that our learning style is the best learning style because it's our learning style. And because mm-hmm. I like online learning, I've, I've gone through almost six, maybe eight years of online learning, two master's degrees and a PhD, all in an online learning environment. For me, it works. So for yep. me, I don't need to be in a face-to-face environment where I where I have to respond to peers out loud to make sure that I understand the concept. But there are other people who really need to be in a space with other people to vocalize their thought processes in order to ensure that they are understanding a concept really well. So as we're making that shift, I really do like the idea of posting discussion board questions a week ahead. Um, for all students, right? So that Absolutely. everyone gets that time to think about what they want to say mm-hmm. and then use those critical thinking and those research skills like you just said to in order to, you know, be actively engaged. Yeah, absolutely. One last thing, I, I want to just highlight the importance of equity, right? Giving all students an opportunity to answer the questions or, or review the information, you know, prior to class. Um, just, you know, I think that, on its own increases the value of a classroom. Yeah. 
Yeah, yep. it does. So one of the last questions I had for Tracy really talked about how I'm a I'm a big proponent of our shift to virtual learning because as a general educator who was not trained formally in special in special education, um, okay. I find it to be difficult at times to make sure all my kids are getting their accommodations. You know, at the beginning of every year, you have an IEP chair or this is my story. Every okay. year I have an IEP chair who gives me a stack of IEPs and says, hey, here, yeah. these are your IEPs. And my Agreed. first year of teaching, I was like, but what? what is this? Oh, this just put it in a binder and make sure it's in your room. <laughs> but you didn't walk me like, what, what does this mean? Like, what accommodations are these kids supposed to be getting? I feel like although teachers definitely need to go through their IEPs to see that all to check the accommodation matrixes for all of their students and pull out what those students need i feel like the virtual environment is going to give students those tools that would have been asked for in their in their IEP and just is a tool that everyone's going to have access to right i agree and while I was talking to some to some special educators who all responded to that post, a lot of them wanted to be very clear that accommodations are supposed to be specialized for individual students. That's why it's called an IEP. It's an individual education plan. And I totally yeah. get that right. I'm not I'm not negating that. But what I think is really cool about being in the virtual environment, just like you talk about equity, we are equally allowing all students to have access to it's more quality. We're equally allowing our, all students to have access to this accommodation that these okay. students who require it are going to get. But students who may not require what require it will still benefit from. So I still think that. I love the idea of us shifting to virtual learning, and that's one of the reasons why. But. I'm going to let you tell, I'm going to let Tracy tell us what he thinks is uh, the benefit of us shifting to a virtual learning environment. Most of the students we serve with disabilities mm-hmm. don't necessarily, for, we have to worry about their ability to read. I mean, that's yeah. first and foremost, right? Mm-hmm. So, and if we're talking K-5, we've got a different issue than a high school senior exactly, mm-hmm. or even a junior. But what if they're not reading at a fifth grade level and they're a senior or junior in high school yeah so the words may be coming across on the screen where they may attempt to read it or it Mm -hmm. may be a read aloud Mm -hmm. but if they don't understand that meaning of that word what happens to their frustration level yeah it will. in in the face-to-face you can see it you can see where their escalation begins Mm -hmm. you may not catch it that first second but you'll see it right their Mm -hmm. actions they start instead of breaking pencils or just ruffling the, the papers or poking the friend next to them because they need that distraction because the work's not available for them. Yeah. So what happens if they're online? Do they just shut off, mm-hmm. hold the computer down and walk away? Um, is a parent there to help them? Then they can help with the escalation. Most of our juniors and seniors or high school kids, I'm going to say, no, the parents aren't sitting next to them. So we, we give them more credit than they may necessarily be worthy of right and and that's what a bigger issue is to me it's not the content i mean we can we can scaffold the content down mm-hmm. to where i mean any 12th grader can get a portion of algebra if it's scaffolded down far enough right no problem with that at all right shakespeare in the language arts part you know if yeah we can break that down into more modern language and we can get the meaning across to them in their language mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate to virtual Yes, I, I think we're going to get 80% of it, but that other 20%, which is that human relationship or that human interaction, 
mm-hmm. is where a lot of that aha moments come for the kids that we serve. And that's the part I don't think we're going to capture completely. I think that's a really good, a really good um, outlook. And it's a really good information because it sort of helps um, reshape my thinking around how we can support our students with disabilities. I agree. And um, this is something that you kind of spoke on earlier was the idea of accommodations and modifications, right? So I I don't like when people do this, but I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to define the word (laughs) while using the word. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So essentially, when you think about an accommodation, right, you're accommodating that student to meet the uh, objective, like the task of the objective, right? When uh, you offer a modification, you're modifying the end goal, right? So when Tracy talks about how, you know, uh, the example he used is a 12th grader trying to access information through reading, right? Uh, This is where us as educators, we have to be, um, we have to educate our students on the accommodations that are available, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, text-to-speech or, or, you know, the the applications that will read to you out loud Mm -hmm. right so essentially it's not like the student is reading but they're then listening to the point where they can still master the objective at the end of of the task right or you can offer that student a modification so if you know that student reads on a a grade level that's less than 10th grade you can modify the reading for that student right Mm -hmm. and you can also modify the end task so that student won't get frustrated and slam his or her computer because at the end of the day, they're still getting the education that um, match their level. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. then you could build upon that. That's what Tracy talks about scaffolding. Yeah. I think it's really important that we share some great resources that I know that will sort of support that, that learning. Um, so today we got training on this new really cool app called Equatio. Don't really think okay. it's for the K five environment, but cause it helps kids, uh, it's a Chrome extension that helps kids use uh, text-to-speech to build equations. So, like, you can oh, literally wow. tell the computer Y equals MX plus B, and the computer will type out Y equals MX plus B because it knows oh, that's amazing. that syntax, um, that grammatical syntax. Um, so that's a really cool resource. What I heard you talking about right now is um, News ELA is a great resource because yep. it will scaffold the text for um, depending on the grade level. Because at the end of the day, if you are reading a text about the American Revolution as a complimentary text, you want the kid to get the content of it and not be so frustrated that they can't understand what the text is actually asking. No, let's be very clear. We are not saying that we want teachers who have sixth graders to give them fourth grade level content. That's not, we're definitely not, never saying that. But what we are saying is that be mindful of the strategies that your district approves of, of you being able to scaffold and modify and provide accommodations for kids so that they can to move to grade level, um, grade level standards. And at the beginning of the school year, it's going to be really important for us to continue to give our kids assessments and diagnostics so that we know where they are. So then we can later find some materials that can help um, move them to where they are. So as we wrap up, I'm going to let Tracy uh, get the last word. So it's, I think it's just a matter of it's, yeah, it's virtual is a different world or Mm -hmm. a different place to present at. Mm -hmm. But I think those teachers that were doing that well in the classroom will continue to do that well. Mm Uh, those first year teachers or first or second year teachers that don't really know their style, um, it's going to be more of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as long as we are, as long as those teachers are patient, understanding, 
um, and not putting too much onto the families and the, the students to to get it all that first time. Yeah. Right. It and I forget where this came from, but there was a a quote where it basically said, take what you expect to give to the students, cut that in half, mm -hmm. then cut that in half again. And that's your starting point um, for where you want to go with virtual if it's not your normal, if you're a normal uh, uh, brick, brick building uh, yeah. teacher. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview I did with Tracy. I think that it provided us a lot of context for how we can start the start the school year. Um, thank you for listening to today's podcast. Uh, again, like, share, subscribe to our content so we can reach as many teachers as possible. And we look forward to seeing you or you seeing us, listening to us on our next podcast. Uh, and special shout out to Tracy Scott Kelly on Twitter. He is at Tracy Scott Kelly, which I think is pretty cool. Three first names. <laughs> uh, so we appreciate you guys. Thank you, Tracy, again. And we'll talk to you guys soon.